Destiny's podcast. I'm Derek. I got Larry here with me. This week, we continue our discussion on Church of the Doom. And we're going to talk about what a doomed people have to live for. But before that, we'll be back right after the break. our look at the letter to the doomed church talking about Paul's answer to the ancient Gnostic questions and how that relates to the postmodern questions in our society, in our culture. And that the answer to those questions both is just simply understanding who Jesus Christ is. And we're going to continue moving forward in this letter to the doomed church. And we're going to talk about new life. We're going to talk about living and the joy of living and the new life that we have. But the interesting thing is that it is put in the, the way that Paul writes about this new life is in terms of death, which I find fascinating because it's about it written to a people who aren't going to exist so soon. And so we're going to back up a little bit. We're going to talk about this, and we're going to look at at what Paul writes, but we're going to start in Colossians 2.12. And we're going to read chapter 2, verse 12 through 15, which we did talk about last week, but I want to continue looking at. And it says, having been buried with him in baptism, again, buried as in you're dead and buried, in which you were also raised with him through faith, in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead and you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh may God made alive together with him having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands this he set aside nailing it to the cross He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This is Paul. He's finishing his discussion on Christ's victory over philosophy, and he's segueing into the next topic he's going to discuss, which is our new life. But in doing this, he, he begins talking about death, both the death that they were already in, but also the death that they were going to accept in order to walk in that new life. And that's what we're going to be talking about this week, because Paul is using the death of Christ and he's using our death to sin as the starting point. He's using these things to talk about how that death is the entry point to the life that God has for us. And honestly, in a lot of ways, they're equating that eternal life and that that life that we live after resurrection to our life here on earth in the church, in the kingdom of God, you know, like eternity does not start when our earthly body dies and our spirit goes to heaven. Eternity starts when you repent and receive his spirit and enter into his kingdom in baptism. That's when eternity starts. And that's what Paul is doing, talking about here. He's telling these people that, yes, physically they might be doomed. And Paul didn't know, probably didn't know that. The church definitely didn't know that. 
But God knew that. And so I want to look at this and understand what we can learn about our life, about life that we live. And so we're going to look at three portions of scripture from Colossians. Um, and, and forgive me if I say, if you see a whole bunch of Galatians in our notes that we're sharing, my daughter started Bible quizzing and she's doing the book of Galatians, but it's also Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. However, we have been singing and chanting and quoting Galatians for like a month now. And so I, I think I've gotten them all. However, I've had to replace Galatians written incorrectly like 15 times in these notes. <laughs> uh, just, you know, let you behind the curtain a little bit. So we're going to take a look at the second and third chapter of Colossians. We're going to look starting in about verse 16 or 20 or so. Paul goes through and he talks about he talks about death and he talks about resurrection. And there's three specific verses that are kind of focal points, they're pivot points of this. There's Colossians 2.20 where he says, if Christ, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world. And then in Colossians 3.3, he says, for you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And in Colossians 3.5, he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. You know, I, I just I found this interesting because when we're talking about when when I hear this preached on enough time, which I've heard it enough at this point in my Christian life, uh, that's why I, I was very timid about when we started doing Colossians, but then we started diving into it. I was like, oh, we're going a different way. And I mean, that's kind of our jam yeah and <laughs> i just find interesting what you saw you say put to death you know for you have died and you you know if with christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world you know we're talking about new life but <laughs> how do you how do you pick up a new life if you're still attached and living? Yeah. With that, with the elemental spirit, like you're worried about the elemental spirits of the world. You're, you're, you're not hidden with Christ and God. You're, you're not fleeing sexual immorality and impurity and passion and evil desire. And, you know, we've something that I was on with Nehemiah was, that idea that we are a priesthood and again i just go back to thinking you know so many so many parallels to what paul is speaking here you know yeah. we're we're uh, immediately think about eli i immediately think about his sons you know hophni and phineas and offering strange fires before the Lord. And I immediately think about, uh, you know, uh, Jehoiada who gave his, uh, daughter or son, I his son to, uh, daughter of Sambalot. And, you know, 
we see today that there's this convergence between the world and the church yet Paul is explicitly saying that we have to die to this and I know that that seems so simple but when you break it down and you know you start comparing the priesthood of today to the priesthood of yesterday you start seeing that hmm we already see what the end of this is like why why are yeah. we still doing this yeah yeah exactly and and it, it's just it's so interesting because we talk about how we want to we want life in greatness and prosperity and all of these good things but here we have paul repeatedly talking about dying repeatedly talking about put to death for you have died for you need to put to death for you will die with christ however in a in a way that is is if you understand the the reference is very metal <laughs> he he's always talking about death in terms of life he's talking about this thing that's almost dark that is i mean is dark really but he's shining light on it he's talking about it as if it's an entry point to good he's never talking about our death in a way that is anything other than about life and freedom and well, that's what we're going to be talking about in this episode talking, is that you know in you're, death you're, we find freedom in slavery we find freedom in all of these things by taking up our cross we gain power you know you're talking about a guy that ran that traditionally ran to the chopping block at his death you know you're talking about the same guy that said you know he that is in christ is a new creature old things are passed away yes all and behold, things become new all things become new you're talking about the guy that said to live as Christ and to die as gain. And Paul Paul had a creepy obsession with death. You know, and I get it. Jesus died, and I, I understand that. I understand like, what he's saying, but it's almost a creepy obsession with death. But, but well, if but I'm, it's if not I'm just Jesus that died. I mean, you got to remember, like, we are so far removed from it that we don't really understand. But we think of the temple as this beautiful, wonderful, idyllic place of nice, clean happiness. Okay. The entrance to the ancient temple was like the grossest, craziest slaughterhouse you've ever seen because none of it was meant to be kept. So they just kept butchering and it was supposed to be going on 24 hours a day, never endingly. Like, like they were slaughtering these animals on that altar well, that, all the time. That's the, that's the visual reminder of what sin does. Well, yeah, but what I'm saying is Paul was a Pharisee. Yeah. So even if the temple wasn't properly active in Paul's time, 
Paul was still taught and had it hammered into his head the proper procedures of running that and understood the brutality of what happened at the altar of sacrifice. And then he was told what happened to Jesus and he believed in Jesus. And so the Pharisees that were converted would have had a special understanding. The people who actually lived in an Old Testament style priesthood who then became followers of Jesus would have had a different look at the sacrifice of Jesus than anybody else really ever would have. They would have fully understood what that death. Yes. Yeah. And, and I, I think that we forget sometimes that Paul was a Levite. Yeah. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Like we forget that this man literally at one point killed Christians for sport almost it seemed yeah he seemed to enjoy it and then we see him move into this levite who is supposed to be opposed to foreign influence be the guy that is going to the foreign places it's almost poetic and you know part of that would just it just shows the the revolution that happened to him and and that's why like you know him him speaking of death like he, his old man literally died like oh yeah he literally was like it, it was over like it he gave up all places of influence and authority that he had to do this thing and yeah. so he properly understood what what it meant to leave a life behind and you know we say forgetting those things which are behind and reaching f- toward those things which are ahead paul literally done that like he his past was a past of sacrifice a past of priesthood a past of levitical law a past of you know i almost equate him with ezra the the scribe because he was so so intent on learning the law yeah and it's just interesting too is that we talk about paul and we talk about how he was like a tent maker or a net maker right he mended like tents and nets and stuff right here's the thing there's almost no chance that he did that before he converted no, it was, isn't it actually said that he learned under Aquila and Priscilla? Possibly. But I guess what I'm saying is that Paul gave up this life of aristocracy, of, of being an aristocrat, being a ruler, being this revered person in all of culture. Right? And he became this guy who traveled from place to place, paid his own way by fixing nets and tents and stuff and sewing with his hands. Like well, it, he, he experienced such a massive rebirth that, you know, it, it, it gives so much credence to what he says because he's talking about death in these passages. He's talking about dying, you know, and, and we're going to read these, but he's really talking about dying, but he's talking about it in the context of the freedoms that we gain from dying. So this first section, Colossians 3, 16 through 23, 
he's talking about freedom from judgment. Okay. Um, do you want to read that? It's. Yep. Let me see. Yeah. It's that. Yeah. It's right there. Yep. So therefore let no one pass judgment on you and questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to, wow, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to these things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts in teaching. That is amazing that he took something that he once so sternly followed and stubbornly followed. And turns around and says, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations of do not handle, do not taste, and do not touch? Yeah. That is such a, again, it's just another example of that massive revolution. And again, we talked about the job of the law back in Nehemiah. The job of the law was to bring that knowledge of sin and to help men to understand how to attend to it and get back in right relationship with God. And Paul literally, I feel like just based on this is relieved. This is to me, this reads like a man who was under law and is relieved that the law has been fulfilled. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, and he, it, it's just, it's, it's, he's, again, he, he's talking about death in before this, he's talking about how, you know, you who are dead in trespasses, God made you alive and nailed to a cross. He disarmed all these things. And he continues and he says, let no one pass judgment on you. Like you're dead. They can't judge you. Like well, and these these things don't matter. And, you know, I know we talked last week about the elements, elemental spirits of the world. It's the same thing as in Colossians 2 and after rudiments of the world, that, that spiritual implication of like the base spirits and the base knowledge of the world. It's the same exact phrase here in 12 verses later. Okay. So he's very much calling back to these prior things, the prior philosophies, the things that he was saying Jesus was the answer to, and Christ's death answered these, and his resurrection is our resurrection that gives us freedom in these things. You know, um, asceticism, it's like self-punishment. You know, worship of angels, de worrying about visions, like these are all things that we're doing. You know, we've talked about, you know, a few weeks ago, we talked about when we finished Nehemiah, we talked about, you know, how in the modern church we've fallen, there's, there's groups that have done things like grave soaking. There's, you know, all this stuff going on and there's all these 
super spiritual things happening. And that's what Paul's talking about here. Don't insist on all of these things. You can't worry about visions and self-punishment and over-discipline and, and, you know, all of these things and that God has given you freedom to do what is right without worrying about somebody following after you with a list of do's and don'ts. Because it's we're all- already dead. We're already dead and judged and resurrected. That and resurrection you- happened already. And you know, you talk about, I hear people talk about holiness as a checklist. You yeah. know, and holiness is a, is a commandment from God in the New Testament, whether anyone likes it or not. And holiness is not a checklist. It's not a do and don't. It is, it is quite literally a a uh, submission, a a set apartness, not from anything, but for God. Yes. And you know. So when we talk about, you know, this is what we do to be different, I always hate how we use, uh, I'm sorry, but I I hate this. I hate how we use the signs on the bathroom to say, even the world knows that's not, that's not the point of holiness. Yeah. That's, that has nothing to do with holiness. Yeah. That has to do with culture. Yes. The current culture that we live in. We're not set apart from, we're set apart to. Yep. And if we're if we're doing this to be set apart from, we're doing it for the wrong reasons. Because yes. if you're and I know I asked like, well, what are you set apart from a few weeks ago? But you have to you have to understand that when you're set apart, you're not set apart from this world. Because you don't do or you do certain things. You're set apart to God because you choose to submit. And that those are two different things. Because what he's talking about is a new life. And you've picked up this, this new idea. And you're not following all these human precepts and teachings. You've, you've, what you've picked up is a new life. And holiness, quite literally... I think Peter says it probably best is that in times past, you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Yeah. And, you know, we're, I know that we're talking about Colossians, but it just speaks so well because Paul is speaking to a people that Jewish doctrine had crept into their church and they were thinking, oh, we have to keep this, this, and this. And Peter comes back as kind of like the head of the church back then. And he says, look, in times past, you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not obtained mercy, but now you have obtained mercy. And I love that because it just speaks so much to the freedom from judgment. You know, we take Matthew chapter seven and we're, it says like at the very top, do not judge. Well, yeah, it says do not judge lest 
you know, the judgment that you give will be measured back to you. There's a right judgment. What he's talking about is a freedom from the oppressiveness of sin, that kind of judgment, the oppressiveness of, of rising up to meet, to meet the, the righteousness of God rather than the righteousness of God coming to us. And that doesn't mean that you don't follow, you know, you don't take up your cross. That doesn't mean that you don't, that you don't dress differently or talk differently. That just means, quite honestly, that that you, as a Christian, have chosen to to join yourself to God. Yeah. Yeah, because he's not talking about things that are negative, necessarily. He's saying, let no one disqualify you. Let no one insist on extremes, right? Because he's saying, like, asceticism is extreme discipline. But guess what? Discipline's good. Worshiping angels is bad, but worshiping the spirit that is God is good. You know, going in deep, going on and on and on about visions is bad. Having visions right. is good. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, and so a lot of these things, they're not necessarily bad things, but we're freedom from being restricted by the extremes of these things. If, if you find yourself in a place where somebody is trying to insist that you do these things, you're free from that. That's what oh. the death that we went through is about. That's, that's why, you know, cause he, he says, you know, you died to the elemental spirits of this world if you why are you submitting to these regulations of the world when you are no longer alive in this world you know he's Again, telling them you've gotten freedom from all of these judgments all of these rules so you that doesn't mean that you don't have to follow them at all as we're going to learn as we move forward we're going to see he's not telling them you know he's not saying that because grace abounds sin can abound more you know, like he's not saying any of that. He's saying that your focus isn't on what you can't do. It's what you can do that you should focus on, you know, and, and that's, that's the next chat in the next section. He goes on to talk about freedom from earthly concerns in Colossians three, one through four. He says, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Here we are talking about our resurrection with Christ. We're talking about how we've risen from the dead with Christ, for we have died And our life is hidden away. Our sin and our past is hidden. So that's what that's saying. You, We died and the life that we lived is gone. And so now that we've resurrected, we are free to focus on what is above, on what is of God, on what is right, rather than focus on all the things that hang us up and trap us on this earth. Yeah. I mean, it, 
it's almost it's almost like you know where your treasure is there will your heart be also but it it also is almost like uh when jesus is talking about you know how much you know he he feeds the sparrows he you know he clothes you know i forget i think it's matthew like eight nine somewhere in there close the flower yeah and he talks about all that to get to the point of how much more does your heavenly father care for you mm-hmm. and you know it says for you have died and your life is hidden with christ in god if your treasures are in heaven you know that I always tell people is like you know, we talk about how the Jews view themselves and each other as aristocrats. But when Jesus came and opened up that that holy of holies access, we became spiritual aristocrats. We gained access to the riches of glory. Not because we are glorious or righteous in any sort of way, but because he made the way. And, you know, it says when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. And we're talking about at that resurrection, how we we will be raised up. And we we will be caught up in the air to meet him and appear with him in glory because we chose it goes back to holiness we chose to give our lives to to put treasures in heaven and i think about malachi chapter three as well he's talking about like bring ye then the tithe and and offering into the storehouse and put me to the test i i read it as a dare from god and I kind of read yeah. this as a dare, as a dare from God. Put me to the test, yeah. that I won't pull open up the windows of heaven yeah. and pour you out a blessing that there's not room enough to receive until you don't have any need left. And then you read, Jesus says, "I, I believe it's Jesus." He says, I, "For we shall supply your need, your all your need. He shall supply all your need." Not needs, all your need, according to his riches and glory. Yeah. You know, yeah. we're 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 talking about we're talking about earthly concerns, but when Jesus says he shall supply all your need, he's not he's not talking about he's gonna give you all the money, he's gonna give you what he's gonna do is free you from the worry of this world. He's gonna free you from your needs. Exactly. Because guess what? Here's the thing. Is fulfilling your needs done best by making you realize that your needs aren't actually needs? Or by giving you the thing that's destructible, that fades away, that runs out, that spoils, and then, you know, a week or a month or a year later, you still need it. The only way to get yeah. freedom from that need is to no longer need it. You know, and... and and that's the other crazy thing about this passage is he's saying you have been raised with Christ in the current. 
Seek things that are above in the current where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things here. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Here's the thing. I don't have an answer to this. I really don't. But Paul's promises here are not future He says when Christ who is your life appears, he's not saying in the far off when the second coming of Christ happens and we all rise to the marriage supper of the land or lamb or whatever end time prophecy you want to subscribe to. That's not what Paul is saying here. Whatever Paul is saying when he's saying when Christ who is your life appears, then you will appear with him in glory. When he says that, he's saying that in the current tense. When Christ appears currently, you will currently appear with him in glory. And remember, this is him saying, you have already died, been resurrected and purified, and your life is already gone. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. Yes. Like Paul's talking about the heavenly kingdom in the present tense to these people. I don't, and and what I don't think we realize is that the Holy Ghost is literally the heavenly and the earthly. It's literally where Mm -hmm. that, that heaven and earth meet, you know, in the, in, in the Lord's prayer, Jesus, when he's speaking of the will of God, he's, he says, he says, you know, as you know, your will, like you know, come your will be done on earth, not on earth, in earth, as it is in heaven, not on the earth. Because it, what we get messed up again is the spirit moved on the prophets and on the priests, the spirit now moves in us, the royal yeah. priesthood. And nowhere, and it's in, you know, newer versions of the Bible, but even I believe in the original text, the word in is correct. I believe in the original text, he says in the earth. And if we're taking that to mean we need to get his will inside of us or whatever that's in my opinion what we should take it as but well even if you take it as in the realm of the earth which would have been very much in line with how they spoke right and i just i just still think that when paul is speaking about all this you you still have a levite who knows who knows what those cares and those concerns of sin are and the consequences of them all too well. Yeah. And he's saying, look, like when I was a priest, I was concerned about making sure that we were purified. I was concerned about making sure that I could give an offering. I was concerned about making sure that we could, that we could get to the Passover and roll sins forward. I was concerned about all those things. I was concerned about the day of atonement. 
and he's literally saying is that Jesus took care of that. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, the other thing to think about too, with this is that he's talking to a church that's besieged by Gnostics. Yeah. They're fighting Gnostics. Well, what's contrary to Gnostic any more than, Hey, <laughs> we're not waiting for a future kingdom of heaven when this earth passes away. Hate to tell you this, but always looking forward to heaven is Gnostic. Like worrying about the victory that's coming on the other side, that that really isn't what this was, any of this was about. They had yeah. the victory. Yep. Paul is telling them that that kingdom is here. When Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he meant kingdom of heaven is here. Y'all don't realize what the kingdom of heaven is. But it's here, and it's already won. Yeah. You know, and he invited them to enter into his kingdom at that moment, in that day. And that's the freedom that this death brings. The third freedom is a freedom from earthly sin and earthly self-image. And that is, if we read Colossians 3, 5 through 11... If you want to read that, Derek. Yeah. It says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and that put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So here again, we see the same imagery. He's talking about putting things to death, but he's saying like put you to death, put the things that you are. I mean, the thing is, is that he's saying you're already dead. You're already dead. You already are a new self. You already are resurrected. So keep killing those things. Yeah. Because in the death of who you were and what you were, you have freedom. And in that freedom... We have freedom from all the things that separate us on earth because we are dead to who we were in this new life, in this new kingdom. There is no Greek. There is no Jew. There is no circumcised or uncircumcised. There is no barbarian, no Scythian, no slave, no free. In Christ, he is all of, he is in all. He is who we are. He is our identity. Yeah, and my mind immediately goes to one, probably Isaiah. Uh, you know, he's in the year that King Uzziah died. He saw the Lord high and lifted up on a throne, and, and the angel gets a stone or gets a uh, coal from the altar of heaven and cleanses the lips of Isaiah. But then I also think about I think about how, you know, later 
Jesus is on the boat. I believe it's John chapter, maybe chapter two, three, or maybe even five, Matthew five, maybe. But he gets on the boat and he's, he's first encountered Peter and, or maybe Luke, but he, he says, look, catch your net on the right side of the ship. Peter does it. He's like, that word, we'll do it. And they catch this huge draught of fish. And Peter immediately turns around and he's like, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. And, you know, that self-image that Peter had, Jesus looked past it and he said, oh, don't worry about that. You're going to be a fisher of men. And, you know, it, it says we've we've put on this new self and not to lie to one another, not to not to talk with obscene talk with our mouth. And I, I think back to when we did Nehemiah, how the people had given and giving and were giving a marriage to the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Ashdodites, and all that. And the children were speaking the language of the enemy. Yeah, he's saying put off those things. And when Nehemiah is going through there, and he's his main issue was that the speech of these children betrayed them. Yeah. That they were not the people of God. That they that they were not part of the covenant of God. Yes. And and what we see here, he's saying, now you got to put away all of this anger, mm-hmm. wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. Because if you don't, you're not part of this. Yeah, you're not really dead. Um, it, it's interesting too. In the last verse when he says that there's no Jew or Greek barbarian and Scythian, right. To the Greeks, barbarian Scythian is like saying Samaritan and Greek barbarians were the barbarians, the, the were barbarians, yeah. right. They were there. They were considered bad because they were rude. They were, they were rough. They were harsh. They were they, Germans. It, it means foreigners. It means people who didn't know Greek culture or language. Right. Germans. <laughs> and they were German. Yeah. The Scythians are the same thing, but they're like further away. Um, they were actually Russians, by the way. Modern day Russia. Um, they were regarded as the wildest of barbarians. So like he's 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 challenging these Greeks in the same way that Jesus was challenging the Jews when he said the Samaritans and the Greeks. Paul is going to the Greeks and he's challenging them in the exact same way that the kingdom of God doesn't see any difference between those that you see as less than you because of your culture. Yeah. And that's why, again, like when you look at the barbarians and, you know, me, loving history especially around this time period (laughs) barbarians usually referred to the germanic tribes to the north or you know sometimes to the 
to the east, depending on where you were in Rome. It, it's just you're talking about them being rude. You're talking about them being like they they don't have the same speech. They don't have the same uh, tactics and mannerisms and well. And all let's of that. just think about this. Think about German the language. And think about Latin. Latin is a romantic language. German literally sounds like you're the angriest person in the world, no matter what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I'm not saying this in like, I'm not saying this to like rip on any kind of person, but like, if you think about like the way that the Greeks and the Romans speaking their languages were very much about the impression of nobility and of properness and of philosophy and all this stuff. And then you have these German dudes who are big and burly. They got giant beards because they're out in the freezing cold all the time. You know, I mean, the weather when you get north of the Mediterranean does not lend itself to some of the niceties that these Roman aristocrats would have had. So you got these burly dudes living out in the wilderness, wearing skins, and they're speaking this language that sounds all rough. Of course they looked it down on them. Well, and I kind of equate it with like the Jacob and Esau thing. You have Jacob, who is the smooth skin, you know, the guy that you want to lead your people. And then you have Esau who's the guy that is actually going to lead your people. <laughs> and You know, it's funny when you think about it that way. You know that whole, like, modern, like, we're moving back to real manliness and ruggedness? Um, that, that's been a thing that's been going on, guys, for, like, 4,500 years. And I hate to tell you this, but the, the quote-unquote femininity y'all are fighting against almost always was on the positive side in history. Yeah. <laughs> that quote unquote rugged manliness that everybody's always taught that, that men are talking about in the modern world. That was always the negative side. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, like, and, and I'm not just talking about secular history, even biblically Esau was the bad one. <laughs> he sold his birthright and he was the burly one. Yeah. And, and so but, it, but that that just speaks again you know he's talking about like there's neither barbarian or scythian and you talked about them being like wild men wild people first of all the russians are still wild look at ukraine but second of all we we're talking about them being wild men that that were uncivil they would call them uncivilized we would just look at them and be like oh they're vikings <laughs> and that's what we would equate them with. And I mean, they kind of were early Vikings. I mean, true. I know they're but, technically different tribes and stuff, but like, yeah. Yeah. It, but like, you're looking at this and if I am speaking as a Greek and I'm thinking, uh, first of all, the Germans eventually went out and take over Rome, by the way. But it's just interesting Only that no Roman. It was German. Yeah, it was German. So eventually that wins out anyway. And so I, it's kind of funny because we're talking about a church to doom people. This is an entire empire that's doomed. Yeah. 
I mean, shortly, at, we're talking about this is happening during the pat, you know, toward the end of the Pat's Romana, if not already past it. I'm going to say it was like 60. Yeah. And we're talking about these people who were kind of, you know, they're, the glory days are pretty much over. It's all downhill from here. I mean, shortly hereafter, you have Caligula, who's about to go like total eight bump aside and just send his men out into like the ocean and beat the ocean. So when I'm thinking of this, it's like from a historical perspective, it's funny because we're talking about Germans who persecute Jews later on. <laughs> and, you're, and I know this is all on the side. And then those same Germans take over the Roman Empire. And in the grand scheme of things, Paul's like, you have to transcend all this because it's all fleeting. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You have to transcend it because things are going to change. Everybody on earth is doomed. It is appointed unto men once to die. Kingdoms are going to rise and they're going to fall. So it doesn't matter if you're a Greek, a Jew, a German, a barbarian, a Scythian, whatever. It's all going to change. And in death, all men are equal. Yeah. And and ultimately, all men are equal now, is what he's saying. Because if you become equal in death, and now you're resurrected, then you are now alive and equal. And again, you run into the same thing that the Jews, the the same view that the Jews had, where all Jews are nobles. All Jews are put apart all jews are special there isn't an extra special class they're all supposed to be equal and we move on from there and paul moves on from the death stuff and he has a whole passage here where he talks about life um so let's read colossians 3 12 through 17 quick put on then as god's chosen ones holy and beloved compassionate hearts kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father through him. Here's the thing. This hard ends a section of this letter. He moves on to a completely different topic after this. Okay? So... He is, I mean, Paul was a smart dude. He's closing. This is the close. And he finally stops talking about death. And he tells us how to live. So the question that we need to ask is, how are we living? And how are we living in this freedom? Because he gave us freedom. Christ died on the cross and he called us to die, not to suffer he called us to die and to suffer our 
our earthly desires so that we could have the freedom that he has. But that freedom, it's not about heaven. I mean, heaven is great. Heaven is awesome. Heaven will be amazing. But that freedom is not supposed to start in those heavenly gates. That freedom is for now. The kingdom of God is now. Because if we live as a church, united, full of kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing each other's burdens, forgiving freely, putting on love that binds us together in perfect harmony. If your body of believers is bound together in perfect harmony because you are dying to sin the way that we are called to die to sin and you are living your life the way that Christ called us to live, the way that they lived in the Bible when the world was turned upside down, you would have this. We are called to have perfect harmony in the church today, right now. Like, this is supposed to be our life today. Paul's not telling them, you know, you're going to suffer until you die an earthly death, and then you get wonderful. No. Wonderful is now. He's trying to tell them that they can have it now. Paul's trying to tell them that in the shipwrecks and the beatings and the suffering that he went through for the gospel, that he found more peace, more love, more joy in those sufferings than he ever had as a rich aristocrat who was going around killing people. That's what Paul is telling us here. That's what he's talking about. The freedom is, is this freedom to love, this freedom to live, this freedom to have joy. You know, I believe, I can't, I can't remember. I think it's Isaiah, maybe... 46 and maybe we maybe we end with this but he says with joy you shall draw waters out of the well of salvation i love that song and the isaiah song (laughs) yeah with joy you shall draw waters out of the well of salvation and what we're talking about is being set free Jesus, first of all, he said, the joy that I'm going to give you, no man can take it from you. Uh, Jesus told the disciples all these things so that they might have joy. Yes. The, the whole premise of this is, is, is that when you purpose your life to take up your cross, which is literally dying day, Jesus, you know, Paul said, I die daily taking up that cross every single day and walking your nasty flesh up that hill and putting it to death every day. When you're choosing that, it should be bringing you joy to walk in the statutes and ordinances of the Lord. Mm -hmm. It should be bringing you joy so much so that you're drawing waters out of the well of salvation. Yes. And what we're speaking of with Colossians, this is a doomed people, a doomed church that's not going to exist in just a few years after this. And Paul is looking at them and telling them, 
you're set free and it should be joy that you that you are dead it should be joy that you are choosing to live a life that is consecrated to the lord and you know we just we talked about it it's not just enough to be set apart or set free you got to know what you're set apart to yeah because if it's just set apart from the culture that's not enough Nope. I've seen so many people say I'm set apart from this culture and from this world. And now a lot of those people are backslidden and they don't have the joy to draw waters out of the well of salvation because they base their salvation on the culture and not on the God that they yeah. were supposed to be serving. Yeah, absolutely. For it to stick, for 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 the death to really matter, for it to last, for the, the way that we're supposed to change to last you have to understand that what you're dying to is freedom in Christ. You have to understand what you're dying for. We're not dying to be separate from the world. We're dying to be separate to God. And that is a cause that is worth dying for. And that is a cause that you can have that joy and that love and that freedom in, even if it is death. Yeah. And, you know, I believe we have, what, one more week of this? One more week. We got one, one last lesson on Colossians, and we're actually going to visit a uh, another book that was written with Colossians next week, which is the book of Philemon, or Philemon. I think that's the proper way to say it, but I don't, I'm not going to be able to not say Philemon every time we say it. But uh, because the topics... Oh, great. Now there's another way to say it. I'm going to have a complex, guys. But it's a very interesting topic that that is something that really should help us understand how we interact with our fellow man and how we look at people. Because if we can see ourselves as equal with the lowest of the lows, and I say that with quotes, air quotes a little bit, but if we can look at ourselves as equals with anybody, as low or as high as they might be, then we can truly have that equality in Christ that says that there is no Jew or Greek, no circumcised or uncircumcised, no barbarian, no Scythian, no slave, no free. Because that is the way that we should live. And that is what this last section of Colossians that we're going to discuss is all about. So we'll see you next week. Thank you.